There aren't many times that I start one of these podcasts wondering whether birdsong will actually be too loud. I'm walking past a very large gathering of geese of various kinds. We were obviously being very vocal today. It's really quite something. However, I am walking away from a particular part of the lake now. So I, I have some confidence that you'll be able to hear me. You may have guessed that I'm on the reserve, the nature reserve walk, walking around the lake. On a very lovely morning. It's about ten past eight. And I'm uh, trying to get a good walk in before it gets too hot. It's going to get hot today. Very, very beautiful day. And I'm, uh, I'm, still, I'm still somewhat recovering from my journey back from the monastery uh, up in Northumberland, which was a really wonderful visit. panicked goose get over a fence so I was a bit worried it was going to get caught on the barbed wire but it got over fire um, yes a really lovely two weeks up in Northumberland um, it's always different from what I imagine I guess it's inevitable. There's always a sense of un- uncertainty and the unknown about going up to Brussels because uh, I've always changed a little bit between visits. And of course that's true of everybody up there. So there's always this actually rather rather nice, rather good feeling of stepping into something which is both very familiar and new. And part of the joy of any visit to Throssel is spending time with, with people. I don't spend a lot of time with people, work from home at the moment. And uh, for the first time in a long time, for the last couple of years at least, I haven't had any family near me, so it's been um, quite a different, different way of living. And uh, I'm looking at changing my circumstances, but I'll probably talk about that another time. But to go and spend time in a community is uh, it's just amazing, really. Just felt like a reawakening after 
after the whole horrible few years that we've all been living through. And uh, part of the joy of it was, was the 50th anniversary that Throstle celebrated uh, quite early on in my visit. Um, 50 years since the first retreat at uh, a very ramshackle, tumble-down farm in a very remote and inhospitable valley in Northumberland. Um, a far cry from the extremely pleasant fabric, if you like, the buildings that they've built in the meantime. last 50 years through really an astonishing amount of effort and goodwill that they built up with I guess thousands of people over the years. The whole thing's been built on the basis of donations. Everything from the initial purchase of the property to the um, current plans to fit solar panels and install a ground source heat pump to um, reduce the heating bills and uh, improve the environmental friendliness of the place. So it's still very much an ongoing thing and uh, it was great. I think there were about 80 lay guests, something like that. But, uh, really great to see a big crowd there. And, lovely talk given by Reverend Master Daishin which is actually on the uh, Throstle website under the videos section. It's great to hear him speak. Uh, he's been in semi-retirement for some years now uh, so uh, it's really good to to see him. I'm glad to say I got a chance to, to say thanks for that uh, for that talk and just say hello to him. But it was also an opportunity to catch up with some of my uh, some of the monks that I tend to go to for for refuge, for chats, talking stuff through, getting some some pointers and some nudges on the way, dealing with what's going on at any particular time. Something that I've always found incredibly valuable. I've always felt very privileged to have such wonderful teachers and advisors and friends, really Dharma friends available. And they've always been very generous with their time and their help. And it's amazing how Feelings of worry, anxiety, depression, all the things that so many of us have to deal with day to day um, can, can really change after a chat with a trusted friend, and particularly those with real wisdom and insight.
another joy with spending time with other lay people. Um, there are, there's a, normally a flow of people coming and going, but uh, very often there's one or two people on longer stays, and in, in this case there were two people who were there for um, one, one throughout my visit and another arrived soon after me and is still up there. Uh, and it's just wonderful to spend time with them and to train with them in, uh, in Zen. And I think that's one of the things I value, excuse me. <clears throat> it's one of the things I value most about the practice. I think it's pretty central to the practice, which is learning together. Uh, this community and trust. And I think you, you tend to generate or realize a real appreciation for, for other people. And we really do help each other through, even if it's not necessarily sort of verbal advice or anything like that, just uh, seeing other people stepping up and doing, doing their own training, as we call it. so inspiring and uh, I always I always respond well I think to being in a communal environment where everybody is uh, moving in the right direction or in a good direction together it seems to really help we kind of carry each other along in a uh, non non overly helping way it's kind of difficult to describe but I think most of us have had that experience where day-to-day life can seem daunting but when we're in the company of people who are constantly taking on the challenge of life and doing their best even you know, I know from my own experience <clears throat> it's very easy to be perfectionistic about things and Berate, our, berate ourselves for not matching some arbitrary standard that we conjure up from somewhere, which doesn't really mean anything or doesn't really apply to anything in the real world. It's just ideas we have about how things should be. Uh, being in, in an environment with real people uh, rather than having imagined ideal companions if you like or ideal self there's a kind of acceptance and appreciation that grows and grows and uh, as people say you can't accept and love yourself unless you can accept and love other people and vice versa and I do find that well I think part of this whole process is recognizing where we misunderstand things and generally our misunderstandings are there for uh, understandable reasons human reasons uh, but because we all have slightly different experiences and we're at different ages and we have different states of health and all sorts of different things going on uh, there's a wonderful 
opportunity not to reinforce each other's errors. <laughs> uh, and so in a very gentle, quiet, almost invisible way, we all move forward. All helping each other to let go of our attachments, I suppose, to use the commonly used term. Mm. As ever, these shorthand terms are hopefully useful, but they never really capture the richness of things. Nickly attachments, it's easy to treat that as some kind of bad thing. Oh dear, I'm a Buddhist, I mustn't have attachments. But actually having attachments is part of being a human being. Uh, and acceptance is an acceptance of our humanity in particular. Uh, it's a strange thing. Acceptance is central to the practice. You could say meditation is acceptance because we sit with whatever is there, whatever's going on physically, whatever's going on mentally, whatever's going on in our, in our, in our guts, uh, how we feel in the world at the time we sit is what we sit with. And because we are not trying to push it away or hold on to anything. We can see that those attachments are just part of the scenery and they change. But it's interesting to me, we, we kind of get attached to our attachments. Sometimes there's multiple layers of attachment which can take a while to to unpick, to, to let go of. And sometimes letting go can feel like a regression, it can feel like going backwards in practice. But I think very often what we've done is we've, we've let go of one layer and suddenly it's almost like unfurling, <laughs> unfurling a flag or a sail. Uh, you know, we've undone some knots, but now we have a clearer picture of a, a deeper attachment, which can feel uncomfortable because it could look worse, in quotes. But actually, we're now in a position to, to work with that next layer. And the other thing is we've also gained experience in the value of letting go. We now done another pro part of the process, another stage of the process, another turn of the wheel, if you like. And so we have, even if we don't realize it, we have a little bit more experience in training and we have a little bit more faith in training because we see change. And at some level, we, we do know that letting go of this stuff is a, a step towards a kind of lightness the kind of freedom 
and a kind of truth. I think this is one of the reasons why very often in the script very often in the scriptures um, a monk or lay person will ask it a teacher what they gain through Buddhist practice and meditation and the answer tends to be very often there's no single answer but the answer tends to be nothing at all as ever the answer depends largely on the state of mind of the questioner somebody's attached to gain then it's a common thing to confound that by pointing out that that nothing is gained but a deeper truth is or a deeper aspect maybe is that it's just true Uh, in fact it's the it's the opposite of gain it's letting go simplification lightning and a return to reality and reality takes less energy <laughs> to keep going to support because it's self-supporting reality comes to us rather than it being something that we have to construct and maintain reminds me a bit of I can't remember where I've seen it but it's common advice about how truth is so much better than lies because with truth you don't have to keep remembering which lies you told and to who you don't have to support a sort of framework of untruths and it feels a very similar type of thing Um, in Buddhist training they talk about it being the search for the truth one way of looking at it is laying down everything which isn't which isn't the truth which isn't just what is then we don't have to put loads of energy and stress into trying to manage our untruths or frameworks that we we use this is much easier said than done obviously because those frameworks actually exist because they fulfill or fulfill the function So it's a, it's a council of perfection to tell people to just let it all go and drop. I'm not saying it's not possible. I think it is possible. Because I think there can be a fundamental shift in understanding of what these frameworks actually are, what they consist of, and how they don't actually... Well, how they're not necessary, put it that way. Again, a common metaphor for this in all sorts of traditions is actually stepping off a, a cliff. Um, we're stepping off our support. This um, 
confected structure that we've built and relied on to uh, to some extent most of us for most of our lives in, resp in response to difficulty and trauma and just not very, not very useful ideas that we're given about what people are who we are and who we're supposed to be because of course no one no one actually matches any concept of a human being there isn't a single person who is anything other than this indescribable becoming very often because of feelings of, in, of inadequacy we try to build up a structure a picture of ourselves a set of connecting assumptions almost, almost assertions I think that's related to very early Buddhist teaching about house builder of the house of ego and it's also why this process isn't actually destructive it's uh, if it destroys anything it destroys unreality destroys the unreal let's climb some steps there we go Because these structures that we build are usually very intimately intertwined with ourselves, you could say that that's a majority. <laughs> it's so difficult to talk about. Is it the majority? I think ultimately we come to realize that the reality of ourselves is actually far greater than we ever considered. Not in an ego sense, but the fact that there is a sufficiency of self, but also a connection of self. And that the structures that we put up to protect ourselves actually serve to make us feel separate from the rest of reality in a way which is useful in many ways, necessary in many ways. <coughs> the oneness of all things probably isn't going to be a reason that the tax man will accept you not submitting your return on time. So as human beings, we have to work with our, with our individuality, but 
with our individuality is the fact that we, our individuality is actually an expression of unity. And this is one of the reasons why it's very difficult to see and also very difficult to communicate because our language and our thinking mind is based on conceptual categorization on drawing limits and lines between things. So even the idea that all is one is a is an idea, is a category distinct from the idea that all is different. And this is why sort of traditionally academic philosophical view, however valuable, and I do think there's great value to be had in analysis of these ideas. Ultimately they don't they don't cut through this dichotomy, this structural issue really with the way that we perceive and communicate about the world. And it's also why I think these questions get chewed on by people for years because our tools the tools that we use habitually generally are only able to flip-flop between the different those different things it's very difficult to be able to maybe it's impossible to actually express reality in in terms of those two things. But the good news is that when we actually let go of asserting these things, then reality is allowed to be. And we are part of that reality. We are, obviously. How could we not be? can be very scary to let those things drop and it can take an awfully long time generally many many years of practice and it's extremely challenging and it does involve it does involve swimming upstream, both in terms of the things we are taught and how we, about how we should be and how we should think, how we should express ourselves, but also more in a more difficult sense or a more difficult way, it involves swimming upstream against our own preferences. Uh, albeit with this deep knowledge that actually we are somehow heading in the right direction. How we know this, I don't know. It's actually, I think, part of everyone's expression, everyone's experience of their life, this, these deep promptings that we actually follow most of the time. Without really thinking too much about it, I think that's 
mostly a good thing, actually. So anyway, that's a rather long ramble. A few reflections on my feelings after a rather wonderful two weeks spending time with valued Dharma friends and teachers. So wherever you are, I hope you're able to find some stillness today. Even if things are difficult, you can find a moment just to be. So I hope you have a great day and stay well.